Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we reflect on a magical weekend in the fourth round of the FA Cup as Boreham would shock Bournemouth to move on to the last 16. We'll also be talking about exits for both Leicester City and Manchester United and what they mean for the club. Liverpool's Harvey Elliott makes a brilliant return and we'll talk about his teammate Mohamed Salah and why he didn't take a penalty in the Africa Cup of Nations final. This is the game. Hello and welcome back to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Alison Rudd and Tom Clark. Hope you all had a great weekend. What a weekend it was in the FA Cup. This year's competition keeps on throwing up fantastic ties and, of course, giant killings as well. Boreham Wood of the National League beating a side, I think, 78 places above them in the shape of Bournemouth last night to keep the magic of the cup. Yes, I said it myself, alive. That is the biggest win, of course it is, in their 74-year history, and it sets up a fifth-round tie against Everton at Goodison Park. Magical scenes, Tom. Absolutely. They thoroughly deserved it as well. I think what was interesting watching that performance was that a lot of the upsets and the magic, as you say, whether it's non-league or some of the teams higher up the pyramid that we'll discuss later on, a lot of these upsets have come from positive football, you know, attacking football. Boreham Wood were pressing Bournemouth all over the pitch. They could have scored before they did, and they had a few kind of half chances. And it's you know it comes to a real confident play. It's not yes, there's some backs to the wall moments later on. Of course there are, but a lot of these teams and teams that we've discussed on previous shows from previous rounds have been really positive and attacked these teams higher up higher up the pyramid. And from that point of view, that's what's been really positive to me about these upsets and shocks. Lovely scenes, though. The fans going absolutely mad. I think mm. there were 1,400 of them, 500 more than they would get as an average attendance at their own home ground. Uh, their manager, Luke Garrard, only 38 years old, mm. fighting back the tears. That was <laughs> nice on Match of the Day. I saw him looking up to the heavens. He was very emotional. Yeah. That is also what the FA Cup's about. Yeah, and you're, and also, it's also about money for these clubs as well. Mm. You're, you're speaking. You, you think the tears were in his eyes because of <laughs> his bonus? <laughs> not, not for him, although I hope he is due a bonus, definitely, because he definitely deserves it. Um, for the team's performances but the the owner as well after the game talking about remortgaging uh, his mm. house to keep the club afloat during coronavirus um, you know we spoke on the podcast a lot about these clubs lower down the pyramid and the difficulties they'd have had with no fans and things like that so um, I think that yeah it, it's not quite the magic to say it's about the money but it is for these clubs and it's a massive massive thing for Boreham Wood I want to know if Boreham Wood get to Wembley 
And let's face it, why not? <laughs> who who will go and support them? Because they, they've Everyone. already they've already no, hang on they've already doubled their average attendance. They're they're the lowest attended club in their division. So you can imagine for this game at Bournemouth, you know, uh, diehard fans get their aunts, uncles, kids to come along who wouldn't normally be interested. Who they, I mean, yeah, there's a lot going to be a lot of t- <laughs> a lot of tickets available for Wembley. So and how good, would you and Goodison how, to be I honest? Mean, um, I don't know how big Borehamwood is. I, I think I've been once. I don't think it's a very big place. I mean, would it be filled with Spurs fans thinking? Yeah, I've always had Borehamwood as my second team. <laughs> would there be people claiming, you know, deep down they've always had a fondness for Borehamwood? Would people feel they had to lie about their attachment, or would people be honest and say? I'm just going to pretend because this is fantastic. Because you you get on telly for a start, don't you? Because you, you just you just hold a balloon and cry or laugh or cheer, and suddenly you're the most romantic image. The, of the, country. the population, according to Google, a quick Google search, thirty one thousand and seventy four, very specifically in the last census. Get them all into Wembley, then put it that way. Still no, not enough. No, but I think well, one, very, very close to Barnet, you know. Bring some Barnet fans with yeah, you. Yeah, true. I mean, one thing, linking it back to um, my team, Lincoln, and our cup run when we were in non-league, which was, you know, we, we've got bigger fan base now, principally because of that cup run. And a lot of the newer fans are families and kids uh, who came during that cup run because, wow, we're on the BBC. That's my team. That's where I live. We're on the BBC. We're winning games on the telly. Wow. Do you hate them for being newcomers? Nah. They need to see some tough times like I did at Bury back in the day. But, no, I don't begrudge it at all. I think it's fantastic. But it is amazing, and my dad commented on it in the years afterwards, that the change you saw going to home games with all the families that were there. And that started from that cup run. So, yeah, I agree with you. There, no, there won't be loads and loads and loads of people from Boreham Wood, but there might be local schools, and I'm sure the club will look to capitalise on that as well. And that's, again, where these moments are significant because it's exposure. And you do have, and we've talked about a lot, kids these days they have their Mbappe PSG shirt They're, let alone Manchester United or Liverpool don't they they you know it's mm. it's about FIFA and these global superstars whereas if they can attach themselves to hey that's my local team on the BBC that's brilliant if they can take over a Boreham Wood on, on their FIFA career mode one day then that is the dream of Absolutely. course still there on Football Manager so go for it straight away exactly. kids if you want to um, it was a special moment they're up next against Everton at Goodison Park very quickly uh, Frank Lampard made his um, return to a dugout in English football a comfortable win over Brentford It was, I guess it was a positive I think one thing that stood out for me was just the shape at Everton three at the back I, I, I called it I'll say it I called it <laughs> but um, well you know but um you know, Donny van der Beek and Deli Alley weren't in that team. And I imagine they've been brought there to be involved. So maybe it will change when they are available. Cut tied, of course, but a good start for Frank Lampard. Yeah, I mean, what I think the most significant thing was the sort of briefing from the players afterwards, making it clear they weren't happy under Rafa Benitez. And wasn't it great to have a young, progressive manager who can do little tricks in training, gets involved? It's it. I mean, the word, I think, is rejuvenated in every sense. So he's he's thought about the tactics. He's tried to make the place feel more energised, positive. I, I, I think on, on a weird level, if you come into a club where there has become a rift between management style and players and fans, it's... It, it, 
you might say, oh, is it a poison chalice? No, I would argue that's the club you want to go to because you can make a pretty Im immediate impact by putting your arm around players who were feeling marginalised or didn't understand the tactics of the previous manager. Um, I mean, I've met Rafa Benitez many times and he's a lovely, intelligent, great company. But I've heard also he can be quite distant as a, as a boss, um, doesn't listen, has his own way of doing things. And maybe if you come in after him, you, you can just make a difference just by not being Rafa Benitez and being younger and... Friendlier. Friendlier. And also, you know, less rigid in your approach. I mean, Frank Lampard is still learning the ropes of management. And I'm sure he's already doing stuff at Everton that he did not do at Chelsea, but in the interim has thought, oh, I wish I'd done that. Or if I'd had time, I'd have tried that. And he's he feels he must feel he's a bit of a sponge. He's learning all the time, watching um, trends and so on. It's That will create a completely different environment for players. And it, that is almost precisely what the new manager bounce is about. It isn't a superstition or a myth. It's just that players feel, they actually physically feel different because training feels different and looks different and sounds different. And when they speak, they are listened to. Because most of the time, if you're a new young manager, that, that is what you can do. You can be part boss and part friend because you're close enough to your own playing career to say you understand what they're going through. I agree to a certain extent. And you have to factor in that this was the perfect game for that kind of bounce and for this kind of manager that Frank Lampard is, home to a Brentford team who I think are maybe starting to get a bit jittery about their Premier League survival because they're not in great form. Um, so I do think there's still quite a lot of work to be done at Everton tactically. Hugh, you mentioned it with those new players coming in, how they're going to fit in. Um, and they've obviously got a massive, massive game this week, haven't they? Um, away at Newcastle. It'd be very interesting to see whether, as you say, Hugh, the tactics remain the same. But I think in those games, it'll need to be more than Frank Lampard, the happy arm round the shoulder, Mr. Positive. He needs to show a bit more than that if Everton are going to really rise up the table. Well, Boreham Wood take on Everton in the next round. We'll see if um, Frank Lampard's a good start continues in midweek as well. Uh, elsewhere in the FA Cup, Plymouth and Kidderminster Harriers came so close. Alison, you were at Stamford Bridge um, where Plymouth came so close. Ryan Hardy with a moment that he and the Plymouth fans will probably never forget missing that penalty which could have sent the game to a shootout. Um, what did you make of their performance? Tom said what he liked about the FA Cup weekend was a lot of the shocks or near shocks came from positive football. Plymouth didn't do that. They set up five at the back, which isn't what they normally do. And they were very, very, I mean, their approach was spot on, really. They just, uh, Stephen Schumacher, their um, manager, decided, uh, European champions, what do you do at Stamford Bridge? Well, you just make sure uh, you're very solid and concentrated at the back. And if you get a set piece, who knows? And that is exactly what happened. They were concentrated and solid at the back, got a set piece, got an early goal and then defended and defended and defended um, and just got slightly more progressive as the match went on and they had nothing to lose, I suppose. Um, so they, they, were, they weren't, they weren't, 
did they nearly did. score a lovely team goal though. One they did have one good move, didn't oh, they? they? With did, Hardy they down the they left did. that they played they out from most the back. Of the, I mean, there were forty-one shots from Chelsea. It was mostly one-way traffic. Let's not get too romantic about it. <laughs> Look, it was total football from Plymouth. <laughs> <laughs> No, they did have they did have their moments. They certainly did, but it it it, it was uh, a performance built on. Let's be realistic, as opposed to let's think we've got what it takes to play Chelsea on their own terms. But I have this. I don't believe if you are fouled for a penalty, you should then take the penalty, no matter who you are. I just don't think you should do it. And you I don't knew, think anyone knew, should do it, no. or you don't think it should be like your God given right. I in that some ways I it just, normally is, isn't it? Sometimes a forward's like, I've won this, I'm taking it. Yeah. You think that actually, yeah. no, even, regardless I don't think of who you're, you are. I think you're, if you've been fouled, there's a, there's an emotional element to being fouled. You're wondering if you'll get the penalty or not. You might have been slightly hurt. It might have come as a bit of a shock. You thought you were going to score. You might be indignant. There'll be all sorts of things happening. You will have a bigger adrenaline rush. Uh, and then on top of your adrenaline rush from being fouled, Will I get the penalty? And now you've got the added, uh, maybe it'll be VAR. And then you get the penalty. Then you get the double adrenaline rush of it being your responsibility to take the penalty. I don't think the, I don't think a human being can take that much adrenaline. And, and so <laughs> and so it proved because no. Ryan Hardy said had said normally it takes a really good penalty. It was poor. It was and it was penalty. a dreadful penalty. Mm. It really was a dreadful penalty because he was. <gasps> Too much, too much for him to take. It should have been well, that, somebody else. But that might not be because of, of being fouled for the penalty. It might be because it was a penalty inside Stamford Bridge in a situation that you've never been in against the European champions. But it, and the pressure might have got to him. So why have more pressure? It is certainly a moment to overthink, isn't it? You'd be almost better flipping it on its head and the captain just throwing the ball to someone about 10 seconds before it's taken and then they don't have to think about it just run up and leather it as hard as you can or yeah doing the Sean Dyche and just being like I'm the captain I haven't scored a goal for 8 years mm. but I'm going to do it like he did for Chesterfield in the FA Cup and smash it down the middle as hard as I can mm. yeah that would have maybe been the more responsible thing to do don't you think it was, t- it was <laughs> tough to watch did anyone feel Hugh you've talked positively about the lack of FA Cup replays Obviously, as a oh, it's brilliant fan of the lower league. I felt a little twinge of sadness on Plymouth's behalf and Kidderminster's that oh, they didn't get yeah. didn't get that second chance. Oh, I see, I see. I, I mean, I thought you were saying that you were going to feel sad because they never got through. Um, no, as in just to you know, no, not I, because, not the because we're I, still in the hat. I just th- that we're going to get loads more money because we're going to get a replay on well, the th- telly. I think the thing that is ca- helping teams go through is that it it all gets done on the day. I actually think you're more mm. likely to get surprises because of the fact there's no second game. I mean, we'll talk about it in a bit. Do you think Manchester United would have gone to the Riverside and had another 30 shots and not not one? No. E- easily with this Man United. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, the same with, uh, I, I, you know, uh, OK, the penalty was missed, but as Alison pointed out, 41 shots for Chelsea. Are you going to keep them to two goals again in a, in a replay? No, you're not. Or one goal, you know. And also, Tom, you, you were very happy with the style of play in this round. It's because there were no... You couldn't be tactical about it. Yeah, potentially. It. I'm just throwing it out there. I just it, you've, with you've, these I've games, seen so many FA Cup games where it's very clear one team playing is for the playing for the, Absolutely. for the money we've and all, not for the glory. We've all seen that. We've all seen that. But I don't begrudge them that because, as the Boreham Wood example shows, they do need the da- dosh. Uh, um, you mentioned Kidderminster Harry as a second ago. Um, they came even closer than Plymouth. They conceded a 91st minute equaliser against West Ham and then a 121st minute heartbreaker that put David Moyes' side through. It was a heroic effort 
from Kidderminster Harry, as you you have to say, at the Agbara. I mean, West Ham were atrocious, but what a performance. They really should have scored more than once. It should have never gone to extra time. Yeah, absolutely. And they kind of continued the style of play that they've um, been showing us throughout the tournament so far. It was very tough to watch. I mean, also, I'm hoping that Yarmolenko went in and offered apologies and to pay for all the Kidderminster players to go on holiday after that dive in the penalty area. That was one of the more <laughs> embarrassing things we've seen. Uh, up there with Nat Phillips being absolutely mugged off in his Bournemouth debut for Borenwood. <laughs> I mean, from from pirouettes in the San Siro for Liverpool to could barely stand up. But anyway, um, so yeah, speaking of people who couldn't stand up, I thought Yarmolenko made me very angry. Um, it, it was all just very disappointing. I think the, the Kidderminster manager when that final goal went in on the touchline, he kind of pulled up, he, he had one of those little snoods on, type, neck, neck warmer type thing, he just pulled it up over his face as if to say, I don't want to see this, I don't want it to happen, this is awful. It was it was one of those that was so achingly close for Kidderminster. Um, you felt that there was going to be a chance for West Ham and it, it needed a moment of quality. Um, from Declan Rice to get the equaliser, I thought it was a good goal to win the game um, from West Ham. Again, a little bit of quality um, over the course of 10 or 15 seconds and gotten the opportunity and just showed the distance between the two sides. If West Ham were at their best, um, it maybe would have been a different story on the afternoon. But the fans inside the Agbara, that was again, you know, a part of the, the some of the great scenes we've seen in the FA Cup this year. I just wish they would have won that game. Don't you're you? all going quite mushy, Hugh. Has no, to be you know, it was. What, uh, let's put it this way: West Ham's performance warranted defeat, and Kidderminster Harriers' performance war- warranted a win for me in 90 minutes. It was almost there, and that's why it, it hurts oh, more. It hurts more. That's that's football, isn't it? It's about concentrating for every minute you're out there, not making any assumptions. Uh, the the funniest bit about the game is this is a match against. Kidderminster, and yet it seems to have doubled Declan Rice's value. Who knew you could be an England international, but your value could be doubled by the performance you give in a, a non-league round? Declan Rice is in the do-no-wrong period of his career now, though, isn't he? <laughs> Between now and when he gets his 100 million whatever pound move somewhere, or maybe stays at West Ham, as I'm secretly hoping he might, but he's in the honeymoon phase where he can do absolutely nothing wrong and just get people tweeting what a player like oh, thanks mate thanks for letting me know the Jack Grealish transfer has now made Declan Rice worth 100 million quid basically because he's not worth 100 million quid although he is worth a very big amount of money yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's worth but 100 million pounds. it's interesting you say Grealish because that's what I'm getting at I think last season when Grealish was at Villa and everyone kind of loved him and thought oh this is brilliant and everyone then wanted him to desperately be the Paul Gascoigne for England Declan Rice is that player now he's everyone's kind of favourite player favourite other player how bad were West Ham though you know Kidderminster were great and I um, they deserve so much credit for what they've done in the FA Cup this season but my word West Ham were awful their fans were going absolutely ballistic all over social media this is Mm. why we needed a stronger squad you know, we should have invested, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I saw David Moore, Moyes, um, you know, and the, and the and the words gross negligence used in the same sentence because he, he's allowed this to happen. I mean, they were furious and it would have been pretty bad, I think, had they lost that game. Mm. Um, but do any of their fans have a point around, not the negligence, around whether they should have strengthened? 
you know, is this something? Is this going to be a missed opportunity for them this season? Yeah. It's funny actually because they were absolutely horrendous against Kidderminster, and at full time, all the broadcasters I heard were talking about them possibly winning the FA Cup, which seemed very, very strange. Oh, but that's what happens, isn't it? If you scrape through, then you're going to win it. Your name's on the cup. It's one of the many rules of. <laughs> domestic cup competition is this season going to be a missed opportunity because of the lack of transfers well the, I think I don't know I feel this is partly genius by David Moyes because he's, <laughs> he's showing he's showing that there is no depth to the team which has been spoken about often but not tested mm. too much because they've they've had a good good time in the league um, they've had they've had to absorb injuries but they've had players coming back and this this performance showed that that they just don't by not investing they don't have they don't even have a half a b team i mean it's it but that is the ownership's fault isn't it it's not his mm. i'm sure if <laughs> i haven't i haven't heard any evidence that um he's been turning down the the option to to buy players so this is this is his way of showing if you know if we carry on getting to your um, again next season if you want me to stay I'm going to have to be backed because this is the sort of embarrassing thing that can happen to us I'd, I'm sort of surprised the fans were turning on is that what you're saying Hugh the fans were turning on the manager there yeah loads of West Ham mm. fans it's and interesting rather than the board it's always been the board I think it's always been the board for a long time but I think it was interesting I was on the train back from my delightful day out at Milton Keynes watching Lincoln lose 2-1 and there are a lot of West Ham fans on the train back into London and as I often do I sit there with my headphones on but no music playing so I can listen <laughs> into their conversations and steal all their points for the podcast <laughs> beware anyone who sees me on a train I am listening to you don't worry um, and they were it was interesting they were saying that a lot of the kind of players Yarmolenko Diop these kind of fringe players seem to be getting worse every time they play and they did attribute some of that to the manager in the sense that you, you should kind of keep a ha healthier, happier squad. The ownership problem has always been an issue at West Ham. They're not popular owners, are they? But it did seem to me that they seem to be kind of pointing the finger at Moyes slightly for not getting a bit more out of some of these fringe players. Not to mention, I think there are some club players that have come into the club who haven't had any impact. Kral, who I think got substituted for, for mm. Rice... Um, Vlasic hasn't really had any impact you know and these were players that were meant to add something that came in during the summer so I think that it's it's maybe a mixture of you haven't brought in very good players thus far and when we want you to bring in really good players you haven't managed to get any so I think there's just a bit of frustration there I have to say but um, it, look they got through and football's about results ultimately but I think it was a very tough 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 weekend for both Plymouth and Kidderminster Harriers. Um, we're going to talk about more shocks in the FA Cup on the way. Uh, remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, rate us, leave us a review, make sure you're subscribed as well. We'll be talking about a fantastic result for Nottingham Forest, the AFCON final as well, Manchester United on the agenda too. Stay with us on the game. Well, another side into round five of the FA Cup is Nottingham Forest, who destroyed Leicester City in an East Midlands derby. It finished 4-1 to Steve Cooper's side. The first three goals coming in a dizzying nine-minute first-half spell. It was watched for the times by the chief football writer, Henry Winter, who joins us on the game. Henry, what did you think of the performance from Steve Cooper in particular after knocking out Arsenal in the last round, now Leicester City as well? He's very shrewd, very underrated coach. 
remarkably, given what he did with England's under-17s. Um, during that campaign, I spent a day with him at St George's Park and sort of saw behind the scenes what he did, how he motivated the young players, how he tactically little things he's got signs on the walls and it's not your normal sort of resilience take responsibility the sort of the legacy stuff which so many of the the young teams have got nowadays it is kill the crowd work over the referee he's very much into the sort of the street smarts which england have sort of lacked certainly at senior level and and often at junior level so he's a very smart individual intelligent um dad obviously was a well-known referee he's, he's quite a character he's got fantastic contacts in the game you can see why so many people want to loan him players because you know because they know he'll develop them one of the things that stood out to me was down on the touchline he had that element of some of the big managers we see the frustration every time there was a small mistake his team were a few goals up they were playing brilliantly well but every time there was a small misplaced pass or a bad decision it was a bit like Thomas Tuchel. He was furious. He wants that element of perfection there. And you get the feeling that he is destined for a, a job towards the top of the game. Well, I just hope he does it with Nottingham Forest and takes them up because, you know, in my eyes, my age, you know, they are a big club. And you've only got, I mean, you were there yesterday. You've only got to go around the uh, the ground just to see the, uh, you know, the, the, the history. Peter Taylor, Brian Clough, the players of the past. You know, it's you look into the the radio box, and those Brian Laws doing um, local radio. I mean, history is all around the city ground, um, and just to see it buzzing like that, you just hope that. And they've engaged with Steve Cooper. I mean, you'll have seen at the end that what was really interesting is how many of the fans stayed on. I know this is a post-pandemic thing that a lot of fans are doing because they don't want. You know, they're so delighted to be back in the ground. But they were, and also because there's so many touch side, touchline interviews that they're fascinated by by that. But he was going around to the sort, you know, certainly the three of the stands. Obviously, the Leicester one was pretty deserted by then, mm-hmm. and he was giving it the Jurgen Klopp punch style. I mean, there's a real charisma to him. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think he is destined for the top. I just hope he does it with Forest. Two players in his side who many think are destined for the top as well: Jed Spence and Brennan Johnson down the right hand side. What did you make of their impact? Well, again, as against Arsenal, I mean, they were outstanding. I mean, Middlesbrough have obviously got some talent at right back if if Spence can be loaned out. I know there were sort of one or two issues with him, and but I mean, you know, there's a there's a talent there. I mean, the energy, you know, defensively he's good. I mean, we we focus on modern right backs as you know, can they cross? But actually, he can defend superbly as well. He's quite tall. He's lightning quick. So absolutely no doubt that he's not only on loan to Nottingham Forest, he's on loan to the Championship and he'll be playing in the, the top level soon. And Brennan Johnson, obviously, with his, his family background, his dad's being well known at, uh, at Forest and Ipswich, you know, has a good footballing education, good footballing brain, pace to burn, good cross, you know, and a threat getting in the box as well. So, but, you know, there was Sinkanagal in there as well. I thought Worley wasn't completely fit. He came back in and brought some leadership at the back. Cook looks a, a smart signing. So, look, they've got, they've got good players all over who are being made better by an outstanding head coach. Probably favourites to go through to the quarterfinals as well with a, a tie against Huddersfield on the way. Um, the holders, Leicester City, though, uh, dumped out unceremoniously. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, their manager, I mean, they're 10th in the Premier League um, and 10 points off 7th, which is actually, I, I think, the bigger statistic. Um, how much pressure should their manager be under for you, Henry? Well, all 
good managers put pressure on themselves and, and, and Brendan's no different. I was slightly surprised he had a, a pop at his players, although they did absolutely deserve it because indeed he was off the place and Marty, I thought, was poor. So, you know, all, all over the team that they weren't sort of playing as well as they should. But I think maybe things like that should probably be kept in-house. But in terms of his position, I think he's an outstanding coach. He will walk into probably a couple of other top 10, uh, obviously not Champions League teams, but look, he's an outstanding coach. You, you, so he won the FA Cup last year. As you say, they're 10th and he has done it. And he doesn't complain about it, but their squad has taken an absolute battle with injuries. I've got a lot of sympathy for, 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 for Brendan. And listening to one of the local phone-ins on the way back last night, it was very interesting that how many angry Leicester fans were and they're saying this is a this is a trend look it's their club they'd know better than me because they see them week in week out but if you take a step back and look at what Brendan has achieved is it two um, fifth place finishes FA Cup final dealing with this move to the new training ground which there is a sense that they miss Beaver Drive they miss that old sort of underdog field that was whipped up within you know the, the sort of slightly what was village hall type facilities of Beaver Drive going into this sort of palatial place you know they were no longer the underdog so there's many things he's had to juggle obviously they had to move it's a magnificent training ground 100 million quid it's probably in the top three in the country but still all those little things that he, that Brendan's got to got to juggle and I think he deserves a little bit more patience it did have the feeling though their performance I mean it was one of those where despite injuries this season you, you couldn't blame the, the level of their performance and given the quality of the team that they had out on anything other than I think a good Nottingham Forest performance and a really poor one from them and you're right he did mark the card of, of some of his players basically saying you know there's a few of them that are going to have to leave in the summer but they're you know they're almost on holiday some of those players and we're only in you know mid February. Is it right that he does that so early in the season and will it will it peter out because of his words? Well, ultimately, you know, whatever walk of life you're in, that the motivation has to come from within. You shouldn't have to have your your boss or your colleague to to actually you know crack the whip. You get up in the morning and, and look in the mirror and just get on and do the best that you can. So every player should have that responsibility, particularly with the amount that they're paid, particularly with the sort of you know, the loyalty and the support of the fans uh, out there. But I, I was just surprised he did it publicly. I just think that it's, you know, we criticised Jose Mourinho for throwing his players under the bus. So I, I was, Brendan didn't quite go that far, but questioning the hunger of some of them, I thought was, just to do it publicly, I was surprised for such an experienced manager. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Well, another championship side that made it through to round five uh, was Middlesbrough. They set the tone for the weekend at Old Trafford on Friday night, of course, knocking out Manchester United on penalties. Manchester United's 30 shots weren't enough to score more than once. Matt Crooks, released by Manchester United at 16, scored Borough's equaliser, which was set up by Duncan Watmore, who was released by United at 12. So a big <laughs> uh, big evening for, for those two. Um, there was a big question. Let's see, we might as well just get it out of the way, right? There was a big question mark over whether the goal should have stood in the minds of many. Um, but I don't think there's really a question mark over that. I think in terms of the law, the goal should have stood. The question is actually whether the law is an ass and whether this law should be changed, having only been changed this summer. What do you think? What do you think? Should it, you know, should it be, should this, should this type of goal be scored? They altered the rules because goals were being disallowed for hmm. uh, what, do we what need seemed e- ridiculous reasons. But do so we they, need even more nuance though? There's mm-hmm. no room for nuance even with VAR, sadly, there just isn't. And I think once this is a better rule than the previous rule, so let's just get used to it. And I do feel even whilst that was unfolding, the players and fans probably knew deep down it was going to be allowed because they're sort of absorbing the the way it is. There, I think you're. There's two things going on. One is constant rule changes so that we're not entirely sure where we, we stand but the second one is that handball is always going to be a very difficult thing to interpret and clearly if there was if it's considered to be handball and the opposition get a free kick then it wouldn't have been a goal but it's it's considered incidental contact non-deliberate contact and so on you either have a world where if anything touches your arm which we did have briefly didn't we ball touches your arm doesn't matter where your arm is where you're looking what you're doing Ah, free kick. Or you accept that limbs limbs move around, get in the way. Human beings have them when they're playing sport, and try and be more sensible about it. So, I I I I'm happy enough with as it is. What about you? I think I probably agree. This one, I I I see your point about nuance, Hugh. Because if if there were if it was possible to have any more nuance in the footballing rules, then this one probably could have been ruled out for handball, I think, in that the ball bounces up to the hand which is slightly out from the body and therefore contributes to him controlling it and therefore them scoring. But you're a, I, I don't want to live in a world where that is part of the analysis, so I'm happy with us not being in a, if it touches your hand, it's handball and goals like this standing. You will be unsurprised to know that I think this is outrageous, egregious even. Frankly speaking, no, no, The no. Man United performance, not the handball. No, the goal should have stood. <laughs> By the rules, the goal should have definitely stood. I've got no issue with it, to be perfectly honest. Um, but the rule itself, what I would say is, I think it's it's quite simple, actually. All you have to say is, it's if, if it's of your own doing, 
then it's handball. If like so, you so might, as in because it bounced off him onto his hand. Yeah, so he tried to he 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 controlled the ball onto his own hand. It's handball, and then he set up a goal. It's handball. Had a clearance been smashed at him from a yard out, it hit his arm, and then he passed it to Crooks and he scored. I don't think that should be, but because he has ha- he has controlled the ball onto his own arm, you know, you might have to use a different word than deliberate handball. Um, but you'd you'd you know you would have to say that as that is chalked off. You know, Duncan Watmore would not have had control of that ball had it not struck his arm from his own terrible piece of control. That is an unfair advantage due to the use of the arm. And and that is meant to be handball, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So what do we call it? We call it handball of the gods. (laughs) Well, you can call it whatever you want, as long as the goal doesn't stand. Incidental handball. No, because look, there was an incident, funnily enough, including... um, Chris Wilder, it was at Sheffield United, you might remember it, the defender headed the ball onto Declan Rice's arm from less than a yard away. He then set up Robert Snodgrass, who scored. That goal was disallowed under the rules as they were, and it should have been disallowed under the rules as they were, but it seemed extremely unfair. Declan Rice had absol- had no knowledge that it was going to hit his arm. He couldn't have done anything about it. Duncan Watmore has miscontrolled the ball onto his own arm and then set up a goal. And I mean, I, I actually think it's quite simple with VAR to have been able to to judge the two situations. Come on, we can... We I, can think, I think, to be fair to you, you come up with a fairly logical way of splitting the two things. But for a man who's spent most of this podcast eulogising about the wonder and the magic of the FA Cup, come on, we all wanted Middlesbrough <laughs> to win, didn't we? Everyone was watching that going, nah, leave it, it's a goal, it's fine. I wasn't, I have to say. <laughs> Especially with 11, uh, like 10 or 11,000 Middlesbrough fans uh, just to my right-hand side in my ear. You know, that one stung a little bit. But let's be honest, fantastic job done by Chris Wilder while he's been at Middlesbrough. Mm. You saw great shape, a lot more patience in their play, um, a really mature performance from them. But Manchester United really should have been winning that match. They should have been. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been very complimentary of Ralph Rangnick and very excited about him coming to the Premier League, uh, not least for his press match uh, press match uh, conferences, both before and after the game. But this was the first time I was thinking either he needs even longer than I thought he was going to need or maybe he's a bit out of his depth and doesn't have an idea of what to do. I, I, and when I say Manchester United should have won the match, I don't mean because of because they're Manchester United and it's Middlesbrough. What I mean is on the balance of play and the number of chances created, they should have won the game. They there was it definitely looked like oh we've been away for a couple of weeks in Dubai, we've been working on our shape, and we've got it, we have got it. Did you Until think they like they no, had no, it? no 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 that they felt you felt there was a sense of confidence like this is the plan, and then as soon as Middlesbrough scored, they were like oh no. The plan's awful. What what were we thinking? Mm. We never should have done it. You know, they had absolutely no confidence in it. And that is why the game totally transformed, actually, once um, Middlesbrough had got that goal. In fact, it had already changed with Middlesbrough just throwing three or four or five bodies into the box, actually, around that goal. Mm. It was just because they committed so many bodies forward. There's no midfield at Manchester United. Mm. It was going box to box in two or three passes for about 10 minutes of the game. I mean... I mean, if that's what Ralph Rannick got brought in for, then yeah, there was no point. So you were you were in the stadium. Yes. So um, in in the game this week's game for the Times, Tony Cascarino says he doesn't believe um, there are the personalities and leaders on the pitch to handle that moment you described when they're playing well, but then Mid- Middlesbrough score, and there's no one to take control of 
knowing that that will make uh, shoulders droop and people feel doubtful. There's there's no one with that force of personality to to sort of let everyone know this does not matter. We are still Manchester United, mm. and that they suddenly become a collection of individuals who don't seem to have a leader between them, which is a bit how we used to describe Arsenal as they they hit the skids. But I wondered if being in the stadium, I think that's, the, the you know, we can all watch football on the telly. I think there's certain things you cannot pick up off the telly. And one of them is whether you felt, could you see that happening? Could you see that they suddenly didn't look like they believed and needed to look to somebody to show them the way? The plan is there under Rangnick, and I think they knew what it would, what it was. And a couple of times it happened, they didn't quite score, but they would win the ball, two, three passes, get a shot off. That is clearly what Rangnick wants them to do. When the equaliser went in, they were looking around, and they, they, there is either no plan B, or what I think it is is there is no sense of, and you get this at other clubs, Manchester City and and Liverpool and Chelsea. If we keep doing X, whatever it is, we'll win. All we have to do is keep doing what we do. That's If we keep doing what we do, we'll score again. If we keep doing, you know, maybe Chelsea had that against Plymouth. This is what we do. As long as we keep doing it, they will find it incredibly hard to live with us. We just need to go back to that. And some teams, it's let's just keep possession for 15 minutes. Some it's, some it's, we need to keep hitting a crossfield ball. The space is on the diagonal. Some it's, let's keep getting these passes back in behind. We'll create a chance, whatever it might be. There is no thing that Manchester United can go back to to say that this is how we win games. They just don't have it. There is absolutely no design in in what they're doing. You know, it is genuinely you win the ball and who's in the most space? Get your head up. And it's like, well, that's the player that you give the ball to. And it's, 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 you know, it's almost like there are a trillion ways to score a goal if you're the Manchester United team. It's not like Man City. We work the short side. We overload Mm. one fullback. We cut it across the face of the goal or back for it for a tap in. There is none of it. There is absolutely no design to what they're trying to do. And they looked around at each other. And I I honestly believe that that is why they had nothing left because it was like, we've given everything to this, uh, this style. We've created 30 shots. We're not winning. And so what now? There was nothing. And so there when was, you're there looking at that, who's, yeah. who who on the pitch is is the leader on the pitch? Who is trying to interpret what the manager might want them to do? Who is there to lift their spirits? There who is none. There? there is none. And 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 it, and it was painful because it relied on the it relied on individuals actually. So I think the forward line relied on Ronaldo's, um, even though he didn't have a great game. It relied on his experience in terms of saying the ball should be going there, here. And and it was very much him as the vocal um, person at the front. Paul Pogba was the one in midfield who was basically, you know, he's a classy player. He, he'd returned. And, and while he was on the pitch, you you kind of had a sense that if you got the ball to Pogba, we probably won't lose possession and everyone will feel a bit more relaxed. And when he wasn't on the pitch, it was kind of like, oh, my God, what are we doing now? Um, and in defence, it was Raphael Varane, and he got taken off as well. And you, and you all you you had the feeling when Phil Jones came on that again, you know, the 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 um, the field had been totally levelled. You know, it was like, well, we had quality, and now we don't have the, the the advantage in terms of the quality. Varane's gone, Pogba's gone, Ronaldo was still on. But at that point in time, it was like Middlesbrough felt quite comfortable. And you always thought, I mean, I messaged my friend who's um, a Borough fan. He was in the away section. At 90 minutes, I said, Borough are going to win on penalties <laughs> because Manchester United don't have that confidence either 
to um, take the game by the scruff of the neck and say, we'll win it in extra time. This is not going to penalties. They wanted penalties. They wanted penalties in the Europa League final. There is no arrogance about this team. There is no swagger about this team. There is no confidence about this team. And if they will limp over the line in a penalty shootout, that is their preference. Mm. So I knew it was going to go to penalties at that point in time because I've watched this Man United team. I've not been wrong yet. I've been <laughs> criticised roundly. But they're just, you know, um, the, the one thing that I would say about Manchester United is, as a Manchester United fan, I look at Tottenham, I look at Arsenal, they have started the overhaul. They've gone Arsenal probably a season and a half ahead of Manchester United now. Um, Tottenham have started it with Conte. That is a, a massive emphasis on getting the players out of the club who you don't want there, who probably aren't going to be good enough. And even if you're not bringing in world beaters, you're bringing in players who you feel have high potential or a big future. And Manchester United haven't gone to a strategy of overhauling the squad yet. They they haven't. So you're, you're, you hold on to Jesse Lingard, who's going to be leaving for what reason? I, I don't know. Anthony Martial wants to go. Bye. See you later. No, no, you can go on loan to Sevilla. And, th and then what? Is he going to be um, brought back into the squad with an arm around him? He's not. So they, they, they are, I don't know what they're doing, but they're not moving on fast enough. There is no transition. Uh, I don't think the football is particularly good under Randnick. And I know loads of people criticise him for maybe being out of his depth at this point in time. I've said before that I, I felt he should have changed the style of football virtually immediately because he hasn't got the players to play the way that he wants to and then get the players out of the club who aren't going to be able to do that style he, he's not doing that he's trying to force them to play this way it's not going to work I mean you're going to be reliant I mean I, I looked at the team and it was pretty much Manchester United's best team pretty much um, I mean the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo is playing full-time and extra time mm. against championship side Middlesbrough for me was incredible the day before his 37th birthday. This is not why he was brought back to Manchester United to be able to to scrape them through against Middlesbrough in an FA Cup fourth round tie. I mean, I, so, you know, there are so many things wrong. Um, ultimately, I, I don't know if Ralph Rannick is going to be the person to address them because mm. the two-year consultancy is surely based on his performance now. If he gets nothing out of this squad of players, I I've said this before, we're going to hand him the keys to the kingdom. Mm. There you go, shape the future of this club that you can't get past Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. Like I, I don't want to see that happen either. So again, I think Manchester United going backwards. Yeah, tr the transfer window and performances like this make me someone who is quite enthusiastic about Ranić question the whole thing really and whether it's just kind of six months of treading water and you're going to get to the summer and he will leave and a new manager will come in and the whole process will start again I thought it was going to be a kind of pull it all apart type approach that would lead to some kind of style being evident on the pitch um, would lead to some players being shown the door some players improving tactically um, looked like they were being coached because that was what was missing under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer but it does start. It's starting to feel now like we'll get to the summer and we'll be talking about all this all over again. Mark my words. You heard it here first. Pochettino will be in charge of Manchester United before the end of the season. That if that happens, I'll definitely make you a cake. <laughs> what? Are you telling me you're not going to be making me a cake? Well, it's not. Is that you're breaking the news to me? It's not happened yet, so I just you know <laughs> keeping you on your toes. But I'll definitely make it happen if he poches in before the end of the season. 
Okay, okay. Listen, elsewhere this weekend, uh, Liverpool came past Cardiff in the FA Cup. Um, pretty comfortable for them. The game was notable, though, Alisson, for the return of Harvey Elliott. Remember, he suffered that horrific ankle dislocation against Leeds last September. He scored a beauty in the game. There was an assist, too, for Luis Diaz on his home debut. And a nice weekend for Liverpool. A lovely weekend for Liverpool. All wrapped up with Sadio Mane scoring the winning penalty at the Africa Cup of Nations. Although they did defeat Egypt and Mo Salah. So, you know, you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, let's talk about Harvey Elliott before we go to AFCON. The one question on him, can he make England's World Cup squad? Is he good enough if he stays fit? He can make the squad. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that Gareth Southgate wants to... Gareth Southgate has too many young promising. I mean, honestly, there's a list as long as his arm of young players that he could go to. On the other hand, if Harvey Elliott... I mean, he's, you know carries on in as he started um, against Cardiff, then he'll be hard to ignore, won't he? And I think Gareth Southgate does like, um, you know, a good news story. There's something, if you remember how you felt watching his injury and the reaction of the players around him when that happened, and you did think it might be career ending briefly, didn't you? It was horrible. And Jurgen Klopp said after the game, he had the the worst sort of injury, the best sort of rehab. It's gone beauty- as well as it can go. And Harvey Elliott, Elliott himself said, wow, you know, the, the, the physios and medics at the club have been so, worked so hard on him. And there's something about scoring a goal that requires a bit of, I don't know, commitment to twisting, hitting, turning, just being, having, clearly having that, no, no mental block about having been injured, which comes with youth as well. So may, maybe you'll be an even better player for having come through a terrible thing. They always say bad things make you a better person. Maybe they make you a better player. He'll be fitter, stronger, more grateful for the opportunity. A proper good news story. And I do think Southgate has a weakness for those. So on that level, he might want to include him as a, almost a reward for having had this fairy tale end to what looked like a very bleak start to his Liverpool career. Too much magic, too many fairy tales. I'm ending it here. <laughs> too too much gushing on this podcast. It was wonderful to see Harvey Elliott back. Remarkable after the injury that he suffered. There's no way he should be in that World Cup squad. England have got enough creative players. They've got enough young players. Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane are going to start up front. We're going to have to but say Southgate has a weakness. For he a does, line. but I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll go for it. Harvey Elliott will be a wonderful player. Let's just leave it there. I don't know. I don't know. I think he might squeeze in, you know. I think he might squeeze in. What a waste. Then he'll just get to the group stages again and everyone will go, throw Harvey Elliott on and that won't do us any good further down. He can play out wide. He can play in the middle. Exactly. That's even worse. We're just doing Jack Grealish and Phil Foden all over again. We don't need it, Gareth. Don't do it, mate. Please. We'll clip that up for our pre-World Cup squad uh, <laughs> podcast in about, what, a year's time? No, less than that now. This That's year, true. That's true. You two do. It's a of weeks away, the you, World Cup, yeah. you. <laughs> you, do owe, you do owe me on that from uh, Speaking of international football then, um, why on earth didn't Mo Salah take a penalty in the shootout as Egypt were beaten by Senegal in the final of AFCON? Why? Because the fifth penalty is the pressure penalty, so you put your best player on it. No, you don't do that. Do you know who I blame for this? Cristiano Ronaldo, who somehow legitimised 
taking the headlines by saying, even though I'm the best penalty taker, I'm going to go fifth and risk not taking one. Did Gerard do it once? He is the one. He is the one. Because no, they've he's all, not the only one. They've Christian all gone off the back of him. No. How on earth are you taking that? Especially if you're going second in the shootout. Are you insane? Why would you go fifth? Because you're backing your. T- I'm. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here. Because, but you're saying you're you're envisaging that glorious moment, which all all footballers of that level. Why do you, have to, get, why do you have to get the glorious moment? Because they're egotists. Exactly. So Cristiano Ronaldo started it. it. No, he's not just prime him. suspect. All, he's prime suspect, definitely. But <laughs> I, I, all I'm. I can slightly see the logic in that. Say if they were all scored, that is that then becomes the most pressurized penalty of the entire shootout. If you're five four and you step up, you've got to take it to sudden death. That's a big moment as well. Like, I I don't think there is a hard and fast rule. Is there? I mean, if you were managing your team, would you definitely say always you're the best player? You have to take the first penalty. I'd want two of my stronger penalty takers on the first two. Yes. Because I believe those that make a good start in shootouts usually win. Mm. <laughs> so the start, particularly the first two, is important. If you miss the first two, you will lose the shootout. So you have to score the first two. I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to Bill Edgar and get him on the stats. Oh, yeah, yeah. For the get get the stats. Shootouts that have been missed. They missed two and gone on to win. But no, I can see your point. I'm slightly playing devil's advocate, but I can also see the logic of your star player going last. Alison? Well, it's, I just don't think you're allowed to mix the order up, are you, sadly? Once you've handed to the referee mm. who's taking the penalties. Well, you yeah. Can't, can't, and that's what you should be allowed to do. That'd be quite good fun, actually. And they should mic them up. And you should hear Oh, no, everyone. I don't fancy it. I don't fancy it. I don't want it. I don't want it. You <laughs> should hear it all, all being renegotiated if someone's missed. Because it is, there is something very odd about Mo Salah, one of the biggest names at the Africa Cup of Nations, not taking a penalty kick in the final when it has gone to the penalty shootout that his country has engineered. That's what they wanted. That is what they played for. But Mane took Senegal's fifth, right? Yeah. So there's the similar log. They've gone for the similar logic and it's paid off because you had the guy missed in normal time stepping up with the pressure of I can win it and banging it in the bottom corner. That was a brilliant penalty. So, you know, he didn't go first. Were you going, oh, wimp, why haven't you gone first? No, I, I genuinely... No, not wimp. Who were? I'm not saying that Mo Salah's a wimp. No, as in Mane. For, were you watching uh, uh, from the Senegal point no, of view as well? You, you missed my point. Particularly if you're going second. Okay. If you are going second in the shootout, there's a, a very good chance it's not going to penalty number 10. So I, I can understand leaving Mane if you're going first because I actually think there's a, you know, there's a mm. very good chance that you will have to take your fifth penalty if you're going first. There's also a good chance that you won't take the fifth penalty if you're going second. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it. When do they decide? I can't remember. When do they decide? Do they get? Do they give the names over first, before the order? Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Can't remember. That, that matters, the, the doesn't it? That matters. That does matter. I just like criticising people, so I don't, <laughs> I don't even want to know. Okay? I don't even want to know. But I don't want to know. <laughs> I, what I also don't want to know is that Mo Salah was only thinking about that moment when he has the glory as his teammate from Liverpool did. Because then you look like you're the person what won it if you mm. score the winning penalty, mm. which is slightly unfair, isn't it? Did you enjoy it, AFCON? I didn't watch as much of it as oh. I would have liked, but I enjoyed this final. I felt very sorry for the Egypt keeper, who I thought was brilliant in normal time. He was brilliant throughout the tournament, mm. the, the Egypt keeper. I would have been distraught had they won AFCON. Because the S housery that was shown for several matches you by can't Egypt, not just Egypt though. 
in the, the matches the, I showed. The ball was saw. in play. I, I saw um, for about forty minutes in the final, and that includes extra time. Um, mm. A rather remarkable stat that they've played eight Afcon finals, and they've conceded one goal. Egypt in the eight games, which is actually incredible. And they have won it more times than anyone else. But um, but it was good to see Senegal win it for the first time. They've got a brilliant squad and I look forward to seeing them at the World Cup. Mm. Sadio Mane, freshly moved to Paris Saint-Germain, of course, <laughs> uh, flying the flag for them. Uh, uh, Tom Clark and Alison Rudd, thank you for being with me. My thanks again to Henry Winter, who was with us a little bit earlier on. And thank you all for listening as well. Um, midweek football for us to discuss on Thursday. We'll see you then. But remember, if you enjoy the Times or the Sunday Times, then make sure you're subscribed. If you sign up today, it will be one month free. Uh, check it out online. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you soon.